sure that it's actually live. All right. Let's see. Is it actually live? There's people saying hello in the chat. It says live on YouTube. But is it actually live? It's here. Hey, guys. Um, Just having oh, some of those cards and letters in. In the chat, say hey if you uh, you guys can uh, hear us and see us if everything's uh, working okay. I think that it is. Um, let's see. Let me pull up YouTube real quick. Mouth Mistress, did you say it was already say it was a, going on YouTube yeah. or everything? Oh, it up is okay. So today it's also on Facebook for the first time ever. So we might have some Facebook people tuning in. Um, we are dual streaming to YouTube and Facebook for the first time ever today. Um, so welcome to Spooky Appalachia, everybody. I'm Jimmy. Uh, joining me is Moth Mistress and uh, Steve Ward, our special guest today. Nice to be here. So I know Steve from the Mothman Museum where uh, he works. He uh, He's done uh, 50 years of research into the Mothman incident. How are you doing today, Steve? Uh, I'm beyond wonderful, in fact. That's great. Um, so I guess let's say hello to a couple people. <laughs> Gosh, there's a bunch of people in the chat. It doesn't tell me how many people are here. Uh, hey, Julie, James, LeBron, Dark Maiden. Hey, James. Did I already say hey to James Boggs? <laughs> Teresa's here. Listen, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be stingy. Okay. Hello, everyone. Okay. Welcome. Yeah, hello. I'm glad I, you're I just here like to, to talk say... about Mothman. Oh, it says 10 people watching. Wow. They're all on YouTube. Nobody's watching on Facebook. Whatever. <laughs> That's where we want them. Don't worry about the um, stats. So we're going to uh, be doing a little bit of a dive into the Mothman today with uh, Steve here. Steve, I, I've... Everybody I know tells me you're the guy to talk to. Um, I've known Jeff for years. I doubt I'll ever be able to have Jeff on. <laughs> you know Jeff. Um, so I met you about half a year ago at the museum, I think it was. And I No, I hadn't just started this, but uh, we talked about you coming on. And now we're finally doing it. Um, so... I guess let's get this started. Um, Mothman. Um, I guess how... Uh, well, I know how it started, but uh, for everybody else, um, I guess... What, how would you say it got started? The, well, the, the first major sighting uh, was the, the infamous one. The two couples were chased out of the TNT area by a winged humanoid. Now, the, the TNT area, for those who don't know, uh, lies about nine miles north of Point Pleasant. And uh, it's, it's been nicknamed the TNT area for decades. Uh, during World War II, you know, you can, you can Google the, uh, this area, the TNT area. Uh, the, uh, I, I don't even know the proper name of it. It's something ordinance works. It's a wildlife preserve. It is, now it is. It's an eclectic wildlife area. Yeah, but yeah. During World War II, they manufactured explosives for the war effort. And they stored them in a uh, hundred of these concrete bunkers or igloos, and they covered them with foliage so it, it would look like terrain. If the enemy ever came in this far and flew overhead, it would just look like countryside. So uh, 
and that didn't last very long, just uh, during the war effort, and then everything pretty much was torn down. The old North Power Plant still uh, was uh, stayed up, but uh, uh, it just became an abandoned area. And by the 60s, it was pretty desolate. And now it's 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 really desolate. It's, it's a very creepy mm-hmm. area, especially at night, but even I, in the daytime. Yeah, I personally, I have never gone there at night, and I don't want to. <laughs> I, I've been there a couple of times, but uh, in, in one night, I even heard the flapping of wings. Oh, wow. I was wow. about to go into the one of the... Uh, uh, igloos, but then I heard kind of a. Uh, I'm not very good at doing bird calls here, but uh, <laughs> sort of a rant, rant, and it turned out it was. Uh, I had a recording of it, and uh, I had somebody listen to it that knows birds, and it was just some kind of a heron. So oh, I did okay. not encounter the winged garuda, but he caught my attention. I I didn't even see it. It must have been. It was probably perched in the in the foliage by the opening of the, mm-hmm. uh, and and so, but it uh, it caught my attention for a moment. Uh, but uh, anyway, there are two couples uh, were driving around out there and uh, by the old North Power Plant. And uh, Linda Scarberry said, what's that man doing standing on the road? And that man spread his wings, about a 10-foot wingspan. And they noticed the red glowing eyes, and it kind of shuffled off toward the old North Power Plant. Uh, after that, they took off into town, and this thing uh, followed them over, over their car, uh, they saw it uh, when they pulled out of the uh, the area and went south on Route 62, which takes you back into Point Pleasant. Uh, they saw it by a, an old billboard. So they didn't know if it was the same one or not. They thought maybe there might have been more than one. But uh, this thing followed them into town to about the city limits. And they ended up going to the police. Uh, he uh, they separated the four people the, the, of the two couples. And they all told their story, wrote, wrote out their story. Um so uh, that's kind of really how it started. I, I, was, in, mm-hmm. I was in junior high uh, in okay. Michigan at the time, and this thing hit the wire services all over the world. And if you look at the museum put together by Jeff Wansley, you can even see the article in the Stars and Stripes, the military newspaper mm-hmm. covered this incident. So that, that's what set it off. And this is even before uh, Mothman got his name. He was just the bird mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, now, I think the, the newspapers actually gave him that name. Well, there was a uh, some unknown creative copy editor, we assume, uh, dubbed him Mothman. The Batman TV show was popular at the time. So mm-hmm. it was probably just a play on Batman. He really didn't have uh, much to do with a moth. But right. uh, uh, there, there was, uh, you mentioned off air, there was, a, uh, there was another sighting a few days earlier in Clendenning, uh, the cemetery, uh, of some kind of a bird-like creature. Uh, You've got to imagine how creepy this is. You've got grave diggers out there, and they see this uh, this shadowy, whatever it was, whether it was the Mothman or just a very large bird, I don't know. But that had to be a little bit creepy, like mm-hmm. some kind of an omen. And that was actually out near uh, um, Braxton County, wasn't it? Just a uh, it, it was a couple hours away. I don't, okay. I don't remember exactly... Uh, uh, where it is. Uh, I just cannot imagine making that police report. Like, yeah. you got to walk into the station and be like, hey, guys, listen, <laughs> I got this thing I want to tell you about. <laughs> well, they, they actually didn't go there first. They uh, <sighs> Linda was working at uh, Tiny's Restaurant, Tiny's Drive-In Restaurant. And that uh, that area now is it's, it's Village Pizza, which uh, <laughs> has a Mothman pizza, mm-hmm. by the way. Oh, but back yes, then it was yes. Tiny's, yep. 
And uh, there was a famous Mothman sighting that took place over Chinese. But anyway, oh. that's the first place they went. They were, uh, her boss was just about closing up and they, they banged on the door. They told him what happened. And he's the one that encouraged him to go to the police. And he I think he called the police ahead to tell them they were coming. So, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, I guess they were pretty shaken up. And, uh, you know, there's one other thing Jeff uh, Wamsley told me. He was contacted by a woman that had been a nurse at the local hospital there. And she said that two women were admitted uh, late that night to be treated for shock. And this is something he hadn't heard before. He had talked to Linda many times about the incident. So he asked her a few years ago and uh, he said, Linda, would you and Mary treated for shock? And she said, yes, we went there later that night. So that's another sort of cooperative incident to pull it all together. I had not heard that. That's wow. Um, what about the 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 uh, eye infections that uh, were in the Mothman prophecies? I don't remember hearing a whole lot about that in actual cases. Is, did well, that... the conjunctivitis is something that yes. uh, has, has often happened to people that have had a close sighting of a UFO or, or some strange light in the sky. Mm -hmm. uh, even John Keel got that once with a close. Uh, he was uh, out in one of the hollers one time and it was a real close sighting of some kind of a craft or something. And he got that. Now, one of the original witnesses, uh, Connie Carpenter, was driving by the Mason County Golf Course. And she saw this thing standing there uh, with the red glowing eyes. It took off straight like a helicopter and flew over her. The next day, she developed conjunctivitis. Hmm. Now, Keels said that he found that the people that had uh, close UFO sightings or cryptid sightings, sometimes they would suffer the same elements, uh, physical elements like thirst, muscle ache, and even conjunctivitis. So it was kind of unusual uh, that a cryptid, per se, would cause this, but not. Uh, it does happen, apparently. So mm. Keel was drawing the connection between what we think of as two different types of phenomena, but but people were suffering the same ailments in some cases. That's so, and that's what, so normal. It's completely non-related. I'm sure those things have nothing to do well, with each other at all. Well, I've so talked weird. to a lot of paranormal researchers who uh, who believe that all this stuff is related: UFOs, spirits, cryptids. I mean, I've never really formed my own opinion on it, but I, it's something I, I've heard many times. Well, maybe that's the goal of the channel. You know, you collect all of this information, start and, to see how the pieces line up. I mean, what do you think of that, Steve? You, well, that's what that's what uh, originally I did think all these things were completely separate. And I had read some of Keel's stuff before, and then he came out with a book called UFOs Operation Trojan Horse, where he starts to pull all these things together. Uh, UFOs, cryptids, uh, psychic phenomena, poltergeist phenomena. And uh, I kind of came kicking and screaming. You know, I, in mm -hmm. fact, uh, a friend of mine and I were kind of bad mouthing Keel before we'd actually read the book. But what, what do we, what does he think he's doing? You know, we might as well just give up. <laughs> and so once I started to read it and, and saw his arguments and the evidence, I began to see why he was, uh, uh, you know, putting these things together. And, uh, it's uh, it, it gets a lot deeper than that, but uh, 
Trojan Horse is a is a really is the book that that really changed my thinking. And then you know I was in probably in therapy for a while after that. And then I read Jacques Vallée's uh, Passport to Magonia. And uh, then I was I had to be in recovery again because uh, these two men, those two books, really completely changed my view of the paranormal. Uh, Jacques Vallée gets into uh, uh, a lot of uh, various traditions and folklore and talks about uh, some modern day UFO experiences and the parallels between them. Uh, in other words, uh, the old stories about the, well, the, the fairies, the leprechauns, the elementals, mm -hmm. um, they, uh, you find things like missing time, you know, mm -hmm. what's, what's common in those stories as well as modern day UFO experiences. Uh, sometimes even the, the, the entities, the, the, uh, the elementals, if you were to uh, change out their little red cap and green tunics for a little silver suit, sometimes they would look almost identical. Right. Uh, but there were there are many, many, many parallels. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, I think although, you know, Keel did not believe there was one answer to these things. Uh, he kind of rejected the extraterrestrial hypothesis by the end of the 60s. But later on, he backtracked a little bit and thought that perhaps, you know, uh, some of the uh, some of the phenomena was due to that, but uh, he he was more, uh, you know, he was uh, he would see if, if you try and catalog all the different sightings, you know, how many different types of craft are reported, how many different types of entities are reported, and this is kind of before the Greys kind of came in and took over, but there are so many different types. He he thought it, it might be. Uh, unlikely that we're being visited by, you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds of different civilizations, that maybe there was some other answer. Um, mm. He also talked about uh, some of these things maybe even being temporal constructs, uh, transmogrifications of energy. That's one of my favorite words, wow. by the way. Uh, <laughs> Said without a single stutter. Way to go, yeah, man. Well, well, the only other place I, I've read that is in Kelvin and Hobbes comic strips, where he gets out his oh, transmogrifier. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, he thought that some of these things they were uh, they were paraphysical. They were they were actually it would leave could leave footprints or whatever, uh, and have a real effect on the environment. But they might be temporal. Uh, he talked about paranormal mimicry. The if you if you go through the the history of UFO sightings, uh, you know the strange lights in the sky were seen as sometimes they were witches riding on their brooms carrying their yep. lanterns, uh, or fairy lights or whatever. We had the uh, mysterious airships for a while. We had the ghost flyers. We had the ghost planes. Um, the you know, Phantom had, Blimp in Point Pleasant. I heard about that. Yeah. Um, so uh, he thought that perhaps some of these things were sort of reflective. And it, it seems like these things were always, you know, even with the mysterious airships, that they were always ahead of our technology. They were ahead of any Zeppelin or dirigible that was uh, available. So anyway, there's a lot more. It's very hard to summarize Keel in a yeah. few paragraphs, but <laughs> it's, uh, you know, he, I think he, he was about a hundred years ahead of everybody in, in, in uh, outlining some of the stuff. And, and also the, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Stan Gordon, uh, uh, silent invasion. There was a wave of UFO sightings in, uh, Southwest Pennsylvania, 1973-74, and uh, in conjunction with Bigfoot. 
uh, very strange Bigfoots, by the way, that didn't seem to be able to be hit by bullets and we didn't disappear in a flash of light. Um, so there's just a lot of uh, a lot of mysteries there. And I don't, wow. don't I don't think we can e easily as nice as it would be to separate everything into nice categories. It doesn't always seem to work. Oh, man, I'm so obsessed with Bigfoot Generation 2. What is that? That's no, I'd so heard cool. of the Bigfoots, but not the UFOs in Pennsylvania around that time. We yeah, did were... have... Oh, that oh. is one thing that uh, people don't realize a lot, and you don't hear about, talked about a ton with uh, like the, the average people, is uh, the UFO sightings that were going on at the same time as the Mothman sightings in Point Pleasant. Right. They, they were just... Uh, I, I wish I could have been here at that time. Uh, John Keel... Uh, actually, the, the TNT area got so crowded, there were lines of people driving in there every night. And these uh, these guys were out there with their shotguns and bow and arrows because <laughs> they were going to bag themselves a mothman, right? No, yeah. no, uh, my boy. Oh, yeah. I had heard about <laughs> no. that. So they uh, Keel and uh, some of his, and, and um, Mary Heyer, the uh, friend and colleague, she was a reporter a stringer for the Athens Messenger, and she she wrote a column called, uh, uh, let's see, the Where the Waters Mingle, and she's the one who covered uh, Mothman sightings, the men in black, UFOs, and so forth. Well, they found an area, uh, if you go south of Point Pleasant to Gallopless Ferry, and way back on the hollers, man, imagine what it was like a half a century ago. Uh, you can get lost back there today pretty easily, and uh, uh, so and they, they found a particular hill uh, that the, the farmer uh, up there would uh, go to bed early about nine and they'd sit up there and they'd see all these strange lights go over. So and uh, there was a, another family, the Lily family that lived on Camp Conley Road. Camp Conley is almost the southern border of the TNT area. They had all kinds of bizarre activity uh, over their house and they even had uh, sort of the bed, a bedroom apparition of a man in black inside the house. I heard about uh, that. And uh, that was and actually it, one of the things I was going to ask you about is if right. you had heard of it, but it sounds like actually it was in Kiel's book, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Lily family had a, a, a great deal of activity. Now, some people called it the uh, injured cold encounter, which was another thing that was going on um, around the same time, I believe. Right. Injured cold. It actually, the uh, Derenberger's uh, encounter happened just before the outbreak of the Mothman sightings. And um, it, it was bizarre. You know, the uh, Derenberger seems to have embellished things as time went on. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it, it did it, it did seem like there was something to his initial experience. And uh, that was uh, he's driving along Route 77. Uh, this elongated craft comes beside him and uh, kind of uh, edges him off the road. And this gentleman comes out, very strange dude with his hair kind of slicked back. I, I think he had some kind of a, uh, a silvery outfit on. And uh, his his arms were crossed. And he uh, has this conversation with Derenberger, a, a really pointless conversation. I mean, if, if this guy's uh, an alien from another planet, talking to an Earthman for the first time, it was a pretty mundane conversation. You know, he asked about, uh, uh, you know, who he was and what, what are those lights over there, which was the, I think, Parkersburg. Um, just very odd. The thing is, the thing that gave 
that Keel gave some credence to it is that before that, there was another man on the same road had reported the same kind of experience. This is before Derenberger uh, got on the news and blasted about his. And this guy, uh, he was uh, with, a, with a buddy in the truck and uh, had, a, you know, this guy didn't identify himself as Indrid Cole, but another pointless conversation. So this guy was freaking out. He said, I've just got to tell somebody. So he contacted Mary Heyer and John Keel, told the story. He was going to come forward and then decided, no, we're, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to do it. And, uh, and uh, he said, you know, that scientist fella said we should just forget all about it. And Keel said, what scientist fella? And he said, well, I, I don't know. He seemed like he knew what he was talking about. And we said, well, how did he find out about your sighting? He said, damned if I know. And that was <laughs> it. So Keel dropped it because it would have been a blind item, you know, nothing, mm -hmm. nothing. And then a few days later, uh, Derenberger came by with his story. And then some months later, there was a woman over in Gallipolis that had a, a similar experience when she was leaving the uh, hospital she was working at. Uh, she saw one of these craft over the parking lot late at night and saw these two men, uh, sort of men in black type or injured cold types, whichever you prefer, another pointless conversation. And she was kind of in a trance. And uh, so I don't know what to make of it. Um, mm -hmm. it. It suggests it was something to it, but I, you know, I, I don't know. And then later on, Derenberger talked about visits to Lanulos with the oh, uh, yes. inhabitants that don't didn't wear many clothes and uh you know too, too bad he didn't take some video i mean he could have made yeah, a few points yeah. off that um i've heard stories that his daughter um still says to this day that uh injured cold visits her like he shows up at her house and watches tv with her <laughs> well it's, yeah she uh, uh tanya she actually just passed recently oh really um, okay. yes yeah it was just just recent um, I, uh, I don't want to speak ill of her. Yeah. 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 I, I don't, uh, I, I think maybe some of that was embellished. I, I know some people that talked to her years ago and that said, if, did she remember anything about those days? And she said, no, I was three years old. I don't remember anything. So that's just a different story. So I, yeah. I don't know if, you know, I don't know what to make of that either. But, right. Well, it's kind of fascinating on this topic of like everything sort of being related and Mothman potentially being not necessarily one entity, but like all of these things being a collective entity. Uh, Jared actually asked a question oh, uh, to yeah. Steve and he said, in your opinion, do you think Mothman could be associated with death or possibly a warning for people to be watching or something bad to come? It, um, what's that again? If, if he, if like, if Mothman or, you know, the, these different things that uh, kind of all seem somewhat related, if not connected directly, like, could they be associated with death or, you know, a warning for other people? Oh, yeah. Um, well, a lot of people think Mothman was a harbinger. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it. I, I don't know. Some people think it, he caused the bridge disaster. Others think he had nothing to do with it. Um, my, my problem with harbingers is, couldn't they be more specific, you know, uh, not to be tongue in cheek, but, you know, you get this, uh, this apparition or this omen, and then eventually the bridge collapses, but nobody knows what, you know, what it means. And so it's, it's not helpful. Um, 
It's also hard to say because, you know, we have such a small sample size of data to go on here. You know, it's, you know, a one entity showing up and one incident happened. Mm -hmm. Well, also, uh, well, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, it's, it's not a whole, I, I don't think that's a lot of data to go off of. Well, the, the, the Mothman prophecies, the prophecies part of the book that dealt with uh, John Keel being in contact with many of what he called silent contactees. These are people that firmly believed they were, believed they were in, uh, in contact with some kind of an entity, space brother or whatever. And they were getting, sometimes they were getting prophecies. They were uh, getting information that would come true in some cases. Oh. And that, uh, and for a while, for a long time, there was this buildup. There were these different uh, contactees who were told, supposedly, that there was going to be some big deal coming up. And then that mm -hmm. it was going to be December 15th. It was going to be an EM effect, whatever that meant. And I think it was going to be, uh, power outages, uh, three days of darkness, and uh, maybe an assassination, just a lot of things. And by this time, uh, Keel bought into it hook, line, and sinker because so many of these prophecies were coming true. Now, he thought that it, it might be a, uh, uh, a power a plant uh, might mm -hmm. be exploding on the uh, Ohio River because there was going to be something to do with the Ohio River. And so... And then that night, he was actually in New York when the Silver Bridge collapsed. It was uh, December 15th, just after 5 o'clock. And he's there, he's white-knuckling it because, as he said, he got extremely paranoid. And uh, because of all the experiences outlined in the book, Mothman Prophecies. And then, you know, oh, and it was supposed to happen the moment that President Johnson lit the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center. Well, the Christmas tree lights go on, nothing happens. Uh, Keel breathes a sigh of relief, and then the bulletin comes over that a bridge collapsed between uh, West Virginia and Ohio, and he was he was infuriated. I mean, some intelligence, something new, something was happening, mm -hmm. but it was a complete deception. It, it didn't help anybody. It didn't save any lives. Right. So, and that's you know, a lot of. Uh, I'm reading a book called uh, Hungry Ghosts. I can't remember the name of the author. But he gets into the uh, mediumship and the uh, a lot of the messages that come through and how so many of them are accurate to a point. But then there's a certain point of deception or tricksterism. And that seems to hold true here, too. So I, I caution people to uh, to be very careful if you've got certain, I don't know, guides or you're doing kind of channeling to be very cautious about buying the whole scenario. But uh, so that's that's what happened uh, with the bridge collapse and the deception that was involved. Didn't the contactees uh, predict uh, some mass UFO sighting too? I think it was in Washington D.C. Um, that I don't remember. I know that uh, there was one. I think he was a uh, professor at the University of Michigan, and he was one of these that got several accurate predictions. And then came the big one. Get everybody together on the hill. The The world's going to end and the Space Brothers are going to pick you up and take you away. And, of course, the Space Brothers never showed up. Fortunately, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Gabe Woodle didn't end either, but I think his job did at the university. Oh gosh, yeah. So, so that's there's a, a lot of stuff like that 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 ha- happened, and uh, uh, that that's what Keel would call false illumination. And he was oh. he was in contact with so many of these people, and he got for a while he was getting all kinds of bombarded by all kinds of information, even when he was up in New York on on Long Island. I think I read something that his uh, phone bill had uh, quadrupled or something like that. Yeah. Well, part of that was because it, it, you don't, you know, that the Mothman prophecies, uh, half of that was cut out by, as Keel said, faceless editors. Some of it mm-hmm. was salvaged in the Eighth Tower, which is another great book, a follow-up. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he started getting all kinds of uh, harassment from the IRS and the phone company, and uh, it turns out there's a uh, in a collection called uh, the Great Phonograph in the Sky. He uh, uh, there's an interview in there where he talks about how around that time he had written a critical article about J. Edgar Hoover's FBI. Well, about two weeks later, a lot of this harassment started. So it wasn't the curse of the Mothman or anything paranormal. It was probably old J. Edgar with a bug up his rear. <laughs> so, but all this, all this, you know, with all the the legitimate weird stuff was going on at the same time. Uh, the chapters in the Mothman prophecies is paranoiacs are made, not born. And uh, when he was interviewed by Art Bell when the movie came out, he said the one thing that the movie really captured was the paranoia that he felt at that time. I haven't watched the movie in a good while. I should probably watch that again sometime. You know, I got a chance to talk to Richard Haddam recently, who was the screenwriter. Oh, uh, nice. Great guy. Yeah. It was really, really fun to talk to him. So, I with, like the, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go. Oh, do you want to go ahead? I've got a bigger question, I think. Oh, possibly. maybe. Well, I was just, I was thinking like if, if you go on the theory that, you know, some of these things are, uh, trying to communicate like harbing, like they're calling them harbingers because they arrive or some of their prophecies come true, some of them don't, that sort of thing. If if these entities are beyond whatever we can understand or they're obviously, you know, it's supernatural, it's paranormal, all of that, it might be difficult to accurately communicate. Like if we're, I'm trying to communicate with a cat, I don't know how much is actually getting through to that animal mm-hmm. and so somewhat the same way. So I can see how people would interpret some of those things as like some some indicators, but being misconstrued. In other words, it was more of a uh, more these messages are coming through kind of a filter that we can't quite grasp. And maybe it not. It's an intentional deception. Yeah. Yeah. It's gone through a bunch of Swiss cheese to get to us. By the time it comes out, it's Mothman. The thing, you know, thing about Mothman was, you know, if you go by the descriptions, he was about uh, six, seven feet tall, man-like, humanoid, uh, red glowing eyes, 10-foot wingspan. The behavior was bizarre. It didn't always flap its wings. Sometimes it would put its wings behind it and take off straight like a helicopter. Uh, Keel got a couple reports of people that were in close proximity to it where it, it sounded like it was some kind of a humming noise or something mechanical. Um, uh, and one lady said she saw it 
walking like a robot in the TNT area. Hmm. Um, on the other hand, uh, the, uh, the Greys, uh, they were uh, missionaries, and they, uh, they had this apparition of the Mothman appear in their bedroom. I mean, it was a classic Mothman, but it, you know, didn't, uh, didn't come through the door. It was just there. And they, they took it, at, you know, in the context of something evil. Well, they had left. They left the next day uh, at some far off country as missionaries. They came back several years later, not knowing anything that was going on, all the hullabaloo in Point Pleasant. So they came back and they saw the newspaper articles. They thought, my God, that's what we saw in our in our bedroom. I talked to another woman that had an experience like that. So, uh, you know what? And, but he seemed to leave footprints by the TNT area. Um, you know, mystery piled on mystery. What what is he? An apparition? Uh, something physical? Also, a large number of people that saw the Mothman had an outbreak of poltergeist phenomena when they got home. So I had heard yeah. that too. You know, how do we reconcile all that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were a good number of people that had poltergeist activity. I had heard. And that was an interesting thing that's not talked of about a lot. And then um, one thing I was going to mention was that we talked about it uh, before. Um, I'm not going to say any names on stream, but um, I've talked to a couple people in Point Pleasant that said that people have been seeing something like a bird, bird man creature in Point Pleasant for many years before this all even happened. Yeah, I'm not real familiar with a lot of the sightings, but there there have been. And there's a book called, um, oh, come on, don't fail me now. I, uh, you're a plethora of information, sir. I think you should <laughs> yeah. get, cut yourself some slack. Yeah. Uh, James Gay wrote a book on uh, Appalachia. I forget the exact title, but uh, he talked about some birdmen that were seen uh, in the around uh, the Elk River, around the Elk River Valley, uh, around World War One, and they had uh, kind of a reddish plumage, twelve foot wingspan, man like heads. Uh, people were keeping their children indoors for a while, and uh, uh, there's a uh, now before that. Now this is probably no connection at all, but uh, in 1904, several years before that on the Elk River, there was another bridge collapse. Oh, uh, really? And both the Silver Bridge and the Elk River Bridge took place on December 15th. Huh. Now, I that's never... just weird. Yeah, that is very weird. Um, I had also heard of in the 1950s, it may have been in Virginia, that a uh, pastor had a sighting. I forget where I read this. It's hard to tell, but that, that's another one I had heard of. But yeah. Um, and I've also heard of people mention uh, it could be connected to the uh, Native American folklore, the uh, Thunderbird. Yeah, the Piazza Bird. Is that a, just another name for the Thunderbird? Yeah, there's a, there's okay. a big uh, sort of a, not a mural exactly, but if you go down uh uh, Southern Illinois, uh, by the uh, the the uh, Mississippi, um, on on the rock you'll see this huge painting of the Piazza bird, which is a, another Thunderbird. 
Now, that's a, that's a good point. Um, there are many, you know, we made uh, the, uh, when people start saying, uh, saying, well, Mothman was seen here and there, I don't know if that's the case or not. You know, the mm-hmm. Mothman seem to be kind of exclusive. Although if Keel's right, and these things are sort of manifesting out of the, I don't know, the phantom menagerie, maybe these things just take different forms. But, you know, we had the, uh, a few years ago, we had the Wisconsin man bat, very different looking thing. <laughs> a, a father and son saw it. It hit their windshield. They got real sick afterwards. It was real mm-hmm. hideous looking, large bat-like thing. There was the Houston Batman back in the 50s. Um, that There's all kinds of uh, winged creatures or apparitions that have shown up. There's one, the closest one to Mothman was seen almost three years to the day that the Scarberries and the Malice were chased down Route 62. It was in Kent, England, and some uh, kids were coming back from a dance, and they saw this uh, light come down behind a grove of trees, and then another light kind of manifested, and then I'm not sure if it morphed into this thing or whatever, but it looked like the Mothman. I mean, it Ah. shuffled like the Mothman. It had the bat-like wings. It was, you know, as Mothman, a lot of people thought he looked kind of headless, or the the eyes looked like they were down in his chest. And so, now this thing did not have red glowing eyes, but other than that, he was uh, almost a carbon copy of the Mothman. Yeah, that sounds very... Now, it's it's interesting because Paul Devereaux wrote a book on uh, earth lights, I think. No, earth energies. And... uh, he talks, he talks about proto-entities, very interesting idea, because there's a lot of, a lot of uh, sightings where people will see a light or something that looks like a craft come down, and it morphs into the entity that is seen Ooh. afterwards. Uh, there's, you know, he gave a lot of examples. There was a, uh, on the Isle of Skye, the last century, the, the, the guy is out on the cliffs, and he sees this light coming in from the ocean, and it alights on the edge of the cliff, morphs into a woman holding a child she walks away and then disappears huh. uh some people in uh in uh, uh i think uh, queensland australia they were at a park they see this globe of light and they see inside this it coalesce and morph into kind of an entity a small entity um and then there was a a classic one nottingham canal in uh, the, the 1980s these three kids they, they saw the mist coming up off the canal. It seemed to coalesce into a couple lights and started moving toward them. They got a little freaked out and started to run away. Two of them saw it more morph into sort of the outline of a Bigfoot-like creature, although it was never distinct. The third kid, while he saw the lights in the mist, never saw the form of the Bigfoot or whatever it was. So anyway, just an interesting idea of these mm-hmm. cultural entities where the and I've heard other stories, too, of people seeing creatures or, or something like in a ball of light being carried along for a while and then stepping out of it for what that's worth. But uh, very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the Mason County spook lights? Uh, I don't think I have. Well, that was one I read about in a book. I forget the name of the book. I can send it to you later that uh, um, there Gosh, it may have been 1700s. There was a uh, there was a gentleman uh, going along the Ohio. He was uh, robbed and killed. Um, the robber buried the uh, the silver 
um, along the river, Mason County. He uh, got into a battle. He joined in some battle uh, uh, on a fort, got killed. And then after that, uh, people started seeing a uh, lantern up on a lookout and uh, uh, a blue lantern. And if you went up there, it was a you would see this uh, spirit of a headless ghost trying to uh, find that silver. Don't follow the balls of lights, kid. Yeah. Just, I know <laughs> yeah, you want to see spooky stuff. I've never been fond of headless ghosts. So I, I can't no. tell you. <laughs> I there's a, yeah, there's a ch- uh, conversation going on in the chat about like what you think your spookiest ghost is. Like black-eyed children or f- uh, women ghosts more than men ghosts. That's a good That's a good question. What Who asked that? Uh, everybody's kind of... Oh, okay. They are it. talking about that. I can yeah. show that. That's a good so, one. Yeah. Um, uh, I, for me, it would have to be the women in white. And uh, like I've discussed on here, I may have seen one before. I guess maybe that's why it creeps me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to think that the black-eyed children were, you know, simply an urban legend. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it. I, I you know, a lot, a lot of people have tried to suggest that somehow they're aliens or, or whatever. What, whatever it is, it's just something very supernatural and, and very, very odd. Uh, I know that, uh, who is it? David Weatherly wrote his book on black eyed children. And, uh, and Nick Redfern has also said that oftentimes when he talks about uh, black eyed children or men in black, the, the uh, reception or the radio station or the podcast starts to go a little bit wacky. And then the same with uh, even people who were reading uh, uh David Weatherly's book on black-eyed children, uh, lights would go out or flicker or, or whatever. Uh, fortunately, that hasn't happened to me yet uh, because I'll be le- I'll be in the next county if it does. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so, I, I, yeah. but, you know, there, there's another winged creature we, I should mention, and that is the Van Meter Visitor. Uh, I'll be actually emceeing at the Van Meter Visitor Festival in September again this year. And this is uh, uh, Chad Lewis, Kevin Nelson, and Noah Voss put together the book, The Van Meter Visitor, they uncovered this incredible series of sightings in 1903 in Van Meter, Iowa. Van Meter is just west of Des Moines. This thing was more like a, a little more like a pterodactyl type creature, but several prominent citizens in town saw it over a particular week. And, but it had very odd features. At night, on, it had a horn on its nose, but it also had a light uh, that it shone from its it's the horn or, or whatever. And hmm. also, uh, there was one sighting where he, he was in close proximity of this guy, and it exuded some kind of a, a vapor. Uh, insert your own joke there if you want. But the point is, this guy lost his memory temporarily. It was like uh, missing time, really. So you have this, this creature giving off a light. And, and, and responsible for missing time, like some of the entities that show up uh, out of uh, landed UFOs. Um, uh, also, but it did seem to be physical because one, one person saw it sitting on top of a telephone, telephone pole. And, <coughs> and you know the way a parrot will come, will climb down a, uh, uh, I don't know, a rod or whatever using its beak and mm-hmm. its legs? That's what it did. And then when it went to go take off, it was really had to get the, the wings flapping to get uh, um, to get airborne, suggesting that it was a physical creature. So uh, anyway, that's just another 
one of the variety of, uh, of entities. And uh, it wasn't seen, uh, actually two of them were seen near the old mine shaft. And uh, they think disappeared into the old mine shaft back then and was never seen again, except one person in the 1980s saw some kind of a winged creature out that way. So there's another one for you, uh, you know, popping out of the Phantom Menagerie and then just sort of melting away. Mm. I actually have one, uh, a recent one. I guess I can read this off. Um, it was sent in by a fan who, uh, this one actually sounded a lot like Mothman to me in the, in the description. Um, she said it was a winged uh, humanoid counter. I just thought this would be a good time to bring this one up since we're talking about uh, other winged creatures. It was in uh, North Carolina back in 1983, Watoga, Watoga, North Carolina. I, I'd never heard. I've heard of Watoga, West Virginia, not uh, Watoga County, North Carolina. But uh, she said that she was driving uh, a Volkswagen Beetle with. Um, no, not with her sister, but uh, to visit her sister in Silverstone, North Carolina, um, off Highway uh, 421. Uh, she said she was around 18 years old at the time. She stopped um, at a stop sign uh, where her headlights were shining directly ahead at a barn. And this is when she saw this creature. It was... Uh, a winged human-like creature running along the front of the barn. It uh, was about six to seven feet tall, dark, uh, with two arms and legs, huge wings. The creature looked like it was part man, part bird, and it appeared to be wearing combat boots. And uh, she said seeing it scared her. She sped off from the, the, the stop sign. And um, after this, she noticed the creature was following her. Um and she was questioning what the heck she was seeing. She heard the flapping of wings and uh, looked to her driver's side mirror. And she could see that the thing was almost uh, on top of her car flying uh, overhead following her. And she estimated that uh, she was going about 45 to 50 miles an hour on a very curvy road. Um, and this went on for a couple of miles. And then... Eventually, her engine started sputtering, and uh, seeming uh, her 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 battery seemed to have died. And the headlights started dimming, and um, she kind of blacked out. And um, after this, uh, she came to. She had traveled a pretty good distance, and. Um, she didn't realize this, but uh, she got to her sister's, which was normally a 20-minute trip, but uh, it took about four hours, she said. So she had experienced time law. And uh, that uh, kind of matches up with some of the uh, UFO encounters. I thought that was an interesting one to bring up with the, the winged creature well, I have to say the, we the, the combat boots uh, threw me for a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's sometimes he's got a look. He's trying stuff out. Uh, <laughs> but but there's other interesting things. There are uh, other close proximity with cryptids where vehicles have stalled. Mm -hmm. There was a, a classic case. Uh, it was a W.D. Doc Priestley. This is about 1960, I think. He's cruising along a two lane near Marlington, West Virginia, along the state forest. And all of a sudden... 
his car stalls. He's he's uh, following his buddies and they're in a hunting bus, and uh, his car stalls. And he looks over to his left and he sees a classic Bigfoot standing there. And the Bigfoot's hair even seems to be slightly standing on end, like a static electricity or something. Huh. So he he says he, he doesn't know how long, how long he, he sat there looking at him, but his, his buddies recognize he's not there. And so they, they're, they're coming back. The Bigfoot hears the, the bus coming back and he recedes back into the forest. So this guy's car, he can start it again doesn't say anything about what he saw. And so they start up again. I don't know how far he gets, but the car starts to shake and smoke and stop again. And his engine is actually burned out. And he looks over to his left and there's the same Bigfoot or his kissing cousin standing by the road. Now, he doesn't say anything about this for months because he wants (laughs) to come back to this area and hunt with his buddies. And he thought, uh, if I tell them I saw a Bigfoot, they won't come back with me. <laughs> so he, he eventually spills the beans. And so, and there's a, there's a few other, even Stan Gordon got a couple uh, in uh, during that 73, 74 period where the close proximity of a Bigfoot seemed to have something to do with a car stalling. That's unique. Like mm-hmm. I can see, I can certainly see other different types of cryptids and describe things being Bigfoot though. Like that's, that's given off energy. I wouldn't have seen, but if they're all somehow part of this, that would well, make sense. Perhaps. Yes. Perhaps if it's, if it's, if it's different, if it's sort of constructed in a different way, you know, the, uh, the Bigfoots in, in Pennsylvania in the early seventies were, were just bizarre. Uh, there was a woman that heard a, uh, a ruckus on her front porch, thought dogs were getting into her trash again, and she opens the door, but she got her shotgun. She's going to shoot it in the air to scare the dogs away, and she sees, now she doesn't know anything about a Bigfoot, so she sees what she uh, thinks is a big gorilla on her porch, oh, and she God. shoots it point blank. It disappears in a flash of light. Uh, there are other incidents like that in, in this area. Oh. On the other hand, you get other classic Bigfoot reports, say in the Northwest, that seem to be, well, it, sometimes they have strange properties as well, but they seem to be very flesh and blood. Well, if Keel is on to something about paranormal mimicry, perhaps some of these things, UFOs, cryptids, are nuts and bolts, flesh and blood. Perhaps there is something in human consciousness that creates or helps project uh, this mimicry that is sort of a counterfeit of the original. That way you could have both being true. Now, I have no idea if there's mm-hmm. any validity to that, but you know, you try, you try to listen to the experiencer and try and go from there rather than, than sort out. I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to sort out the, the combat boots part in the last story mm-hmm. because it just doesn't fit my paradigm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, perhaps it was, you know, just misperception. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've heard uh, even some, uh, some of the, uh, the very well-known Bigfoot people have gotten some really bizarre reports of things in the woods that they just can't wrap their heads around. Maybe it's more about what you're prepared to see than it is about what's actually in front of you in some of those cases. Well, you know, um, 
uh, a man named Evans Wentz was a, a theosophist, and he went through Ireland uh, around the turn of the last century, wrote a book called The Fairy Faith of Celtic Countries, and he collected reports of people that had encounters with the elementals, one-on-one -on -one encounters, like we go out to talk to people about Bigfoot and UFOs. These weren't just stories handed down from generation to generation. Well, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who uh, was, of course, the author of Sherlock Holmes, very much a paranormal investigator, wrote a book called The World of the Fairies. He says, he sounded very much like John Keel. He said, the appearance of the fairies is partly dependent on the observer. And I thought, is that interesting? This is like 100 years ago. Mm. Wow. So perhaps in some of these cases, some of these encounters are dependent on the observer. Seems that, to make sense. You know, I would like to believe that, but I have yet to see my my boy in real life. So they need to be getting to get. And apparently he's been spotted flying around here before. So yeah, I believe that somebody sent me a sighting near you, actually, not too far mm -hmm. from you. Mm -hmm. Was that the one you picked to read or is it? Uh, uh, I had not selected one just oh. yet. <laughs> okay. Oh, I don't have the scripts. I guess I have the. Oh, website. it's they're on the website, spookyappalachia.com. That's true. You know, and there's also a Patreon that I would go amiss without mentioning that you can subscribe to for more bonus content. Oh, who said that? I dropped the thanks, like button. Thanks for doing that for us. <laughs> um, well, Keel uh, thought that, that certain people were tuned in. Certain people, and he would, he would, if if you had an experience. He would find out all about you. You know, he would find that people that had, say, an abduction experience, missing time or whatever, if you asked the right questions, you'd find out they had all kinds of activity going on all their life. Mm -hmm. uh, people, uh, I talked to a woman and I, uh, that she and her husband had some missing time. They saw this large black triangle on their front porch, standing on their front porch. And, uh, uh, so I, I asked her a whole series of John Keel questions, and it turned out they were having haunting experiences in the house. She'd seen shadow people. Um, the uh, Her kids were seeing orbs, and her mother and sister-in-law on the property had seen a crypt, strange cryptid that looked like a panther standing on two legs. Now, if I didn't have the John Keel background, I never would have been able to ferret out these answers, questions, because... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I would have thought, well, gee, I hope you uh, have some luck finding out about that missing time. And I would have just missed the, the whole, all the, the, all, all the unusual stuff underneath the surface. Wow. And do, you, do people share stories a lot with you? Well, um, this is, uh, this was a, a woman that uh, uh, she'd had this uh, experience. And uh, she had that time she'd been trying to find a a therapist where she could retrieve these memories mm -hmm. and so she saw my uh, stuff on facebook and so she contacted me so we had uh, a couple long conversations on the phone I, and she was on my show the uh, i do a I do a podcast called the high strangeness factor on the paranormal uk radio network and uh so uh we, we were able to uh you know really delve into uh the uh um these things and, and again i uh these are, are, are people like, and, and Rosemary Ellen Guiley was another one. She was also a kind of a Keelian. And uh, from her and from John Keel, 
I learned, uh, you know, how to uh, approach a lot of these other questions. Oh, sorry, we had a question. Um, Queen Laura asked, uh, can what I type? ask, can you see that, Steve? Or? Yes. What, oh, okay. What, what type of, okay, he would, he would ask uh, if you had any strange visitors. You know, it was kind of the shades of the men in black or whatever. People would have strangers show up after a UFO sighting. He would ask if there had any electronic problems in the house, strange phone calls. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you had uh, seen, maybe seen a UFO, he might ask you if you'd ever seen some kind of a, a strange cryptid or, or, or an animal you couldn't identify. Um, and, and also he would ask about uh, things like... Uh, uh, paranormal phenomena in the house, uh, hauntings, that sort of thing. So just the, the whole array. And he would often find that the individual had had a whole series of these things happening sometimes all their lives. Mm -hmm. And I, I have found that, you know, in my limited uh, questioning people, I have found people that had abduction experiences had also seen a Bigfoot at one time or another or some kind of a unknown creature. Hmm. Now I'm, I, I'm the guy, I mean, I've only had maybe one weird experience. I, I'm the guy that nothing happens to. You know? <laughs> I, I don't get to see UFOs. I'm kind of glad I don't get to be abducted as far as I know, <laughs> uh, even though there's no uh, copay or HMO, you know. Um, yeah, there's mostly just a support group. Yeah. Well, I get that though. I, I mean, there's are there are theories about like depending on, on your willingness of interaction or your openness to it like if you can see those different types of things or even recognize it like a lot of people would dismiss a ghost story as something oh, sure. because of you know practical reason blah 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 whereas if they were in the moment themselves they'd be like there's no way you know mm -hmm. i i was there and i felt it and that really is uh really makes a big difference i think in accepting and listening to these kinds of things and and then putting those pieces together like has been done apparently a hundred years ago in some cases yes so um one thing one thing i wanted to say is uh, if anybody has any questions uh for steve or for us uh post them in the chat um uh, Steve, did you want to maybe talk about a, another maybe uh, not so talked about Mothman encounter that took a oh, place in Point Pleasant that you could think see. of? Or, well, I uh, I just had uh, Linda Sigmund on my show. It's not hasn't uh, been available yet, but uh, she was 16 when all this happened, and she was uh, about 12 miles north of Point Pleasant. And she was out with her boyfriend, and uh, it was, uh, they, they saw this uh, strange light. This is one where there, there's a, a light uh, scene. There's a Mothman-like creature uh, uh, scene. Uh, they had some missing time. Uh, she has a, has kind of a memory of looking down and seeing two big feet, sort of like maybe a Bigfoot feet, but not seeing the creature itself. Uh, she saw the, it was, it was all kind of uh, jumbled together. She saw this uh, winged creature take off and this light at the same time. 
very quickly. I mean, she didn't see this creature for very long. And so all this stuff happened in, uh, well, in a brief amount of time, but there is, they, they both had some missing time. So it was a very sort of a uh, nebulous, uh, hazy experience. And, uh, and then um, the, uh, this is uh, oh, April before the bridge collapsed in 67. And then in November, no, Dece early December, she went into Point Pleasant and she saw this strange looking man in dark suit, black fedora, dark sunglasses at night, standing in front of this building. And then she looked over and she saw another man down the street a little ways that looked identical mm. to that guy. And I thought, holy cow. And she didn't, she did not put together. She didn't know what to make of this. When she passed by them, she thought the skin looked like it had an unhealthy pallor, as, as many of the men in black are reporting. Something not quite right. Well, she had no idea what this was until some years later, she read John Keel's book, The Mothman Prophecies. And she thought, oh, my God, I saw classic men in black. So they didn't talk to her. They didn't, didn't approach her or anything. But uh, so that was, uh, yeah, she was uh, had a very strange experience. Very credible lady, by the way. And she's also having uh, what, seemed, what seems to be a, a lot of Bigfoot activity near her home. She's somewhere near Parkersburg out in the country. And, uh, you know, she hears uh, uh, noises and, and, and uh, knocking and all kinds of stuff around her property at night, but hasn't really seen them. Something to be aware of. My goodness. I've actually heard some knocking in my, my woods before. I, I don't know. <laughs> you're you're in the zone be. though you're in uh in yeah zone. i mean i haven't gone to i take my dog out right before bed every night and uh one night i did hear some knocking i did not go investigate it though no, smart man and that's why you're here on the stream today <laughs> Heck no <laughs> it's uh, not a problem I mean, you've got a co-host you know if we, uh, if we miss you. <laughs> <laughs> me going all right so uh Jimmy's supposed to be here. No, the, the dog was acting <laughs> weird. Uh, I mean, more than likely, it was probably a deer or something. I have so many deer out here, but it was very, very strange. Jared King says that uh, it was just him saying hi. <laughs> <laughs> it is so cool to see how much... Uh, Mothman, like it started as you know, all these incredible origin stories, and then now mm -hmm. to uh, you know, from the from the sculpture itself to the festival that Jeff puts on, like it's mm -hmm. just developed in this great thing. Oh, I I absolutely think uh it would we have to mention the moth cam. And, oh yes, the oh. moth cam. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I get to I get to work Saturdays at the Mothman Museum. <laughs> And I, I, I greet people. I, I ask them, uh, is this their first time at the museum? Uh, and where are they from? And was it a planned destination? Uh, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, had a couple of gentlemen in from Ireland that came here purposely to see the area. Oh. So we had a great talk. We, we talked about the Banshee and so forth. And uh, oh, wow. we, get, we get people from just all over the world. Well, I spent a lot of time going out to the Mothman statue, and I will help people if they want their their picture taken by the statue or their entire group, I'm glad to do so. And, and I have a I have a name tag on so they know I'm legitimate. And that's <laughs> the homeless guy that wandered in looking for food, okay? So uh, now, a lot of them don't know 
about what they'll see if they walk behind the statue. And uh, uh, <laughs> is, is his we rear end, what we're here for. Is his backside has become maybe as, as popular as his front. They call it the shiny hiney. Now, we don't know what Bob Roach had in mind when he <laughs> did that, or if he talked to any witnesses that got that close to give that description, but people always get a kick out of it. A lot of people don't know um, you know that it's back there. So, and people laugh, and they'll uh, people will people will slide their charge cards through there. They will put quarters. Back oh there. yeah! Oh yeah! I wonder where I, they got that I idea. Started that. Um, <laughs> they Steve, will... I don't know if you knew, but I, I made uh, a YouTube video uh, a couple of years ago. I think it was that if you sl uh, put a wad of cash or my friend slid 20. his uh, credit card. I said that it was the key to immortality <laughs> and that I was actually 300 years old and go do that every couple of years. I, maybe I accidentally started that. Who knows? Well, I, I just tell people they better check their bill when they get home just to be safe. Uh, but uh, people slap it. People do things I can't repeat out loud. I'd be oh, yeah. now, now, once they do that, they'll take their picture by it and they'll be laughing and, and, and do those horrible things. And I'll say, a point up by the there's a man in black watching everybody yep. from the second story window. There's a mannequin all dressed up with a fedora and the black suit and dark sunglasses. It does freak some people out. And then I tell them, you see that little black dot up there by the man in black? That's our 24-7 moth cam. So that means people right now all over the world on the Internet just saw you slap Mothman's caboose or take a picture of Mothman, you know, whatever. So they all, all get a good kick out of it. And then yeah, uh, they usually start acting up in front of the camera. <laughs> Did you know there's actually two cameras? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. There's one that uh, comes out of the bathroom too. Got that oh, double yeah, angle. You, you know that. <laughs> but yeah. uh, yes, you could. Yeah. You can go to the bathroom there uh, if any executive. Sleeps no. Um, when I first the, started uh, that, people were complaining. Um, that there wasn't sound and now and uh jeff sent it to me i was like i think they don't really want sound there if they knew where i was coming no. from. <laughs> what, what are you uh, gosh oh man now what i should do is talk to the the what what's the scoop people and see about possibly getting um one set up over there that points right at the honey that would be cool that would be that would be that would almost have to be its own channel. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, because when it gets more popular than the original, you'll you know lose a little faith in humanity. So you got to at least make it an option. It'll be rotating cameras or something. Well, you like you know, the truth is revealed in the end. <laughs> <laughs> the truth, the truth is revealed by the end. You know, I actually remember uh, before the shiny honey was a thing on the internet. I don't know what started it all, but I remember I was there with my wife and we were walking around the statue. You know what? I've got a miniature one right here. Jeff gave me. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, yes. it's got the honey too. Oh, but, Fallout uh, 76 honey. Yeah, it's the Fallout 76 one they used to have at the store. Uh, Steve, I don't. Do yeah. they still have it? I don't remember. I, I don't know. I I, uh, I think I think they may they may have one up there still. I kind of but, really like that depiction. This that yeah. statue depiction. The the wife and I were walking around the statue, and then I noticed the honey, and I was like, "Is it supposed to be like that?" I think <laughs> I think he modeled it off of a bodybuilder. 
Well, I have the classic statue that's an actual replica of the uh, original. Nice. That's nice. something I've never been able to. I, I saw one at one of the festivals one time for a hundred bucks, and I've been kicking myself for years for not getting it. Yeah. That thing is awesome. I've seen one or two. They actually have one at the museum too, I believe. Some friends of mine surprised me with, with one 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 year. That's a nice surprise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did we have any questions come in on the chat? I don't think I've seen any. Uh, no, I don't think so, but that's all right. Taylor, it's, did you want to read that one story off? or? Well, yeah, I can actually read one off. Uh, the uh, one that I really like is a, from December of 2022. It was a Christmas one, and it was oh, in that one. Point Pleasant. Because, um, I mean, where, where else but Point Pleasant, right? That's where the festival is going to be. I think that's September 16th and 17th of this year. It's it's the uh, it's always the third weekend in September. Mm, sweet. Oh, man, I can't. I got to make it out. I got to make it out sometime. It's just such a shame. Uh, yeah, but this one was from Point Pleasant uh, in December of 2022. Uh, and it talks about, let's see. Uh, so me and my cousin Marcos were in Point Pleasant, West Virginia area visiting family. We were driving down Redmond Ridge Road at around 9.30 at night, sometime around Christmas. We passed a human-like figure as we slowed down. We looked out over our rearview mirror, and what we saw was a large figure, about six and a half to seven feet tall. As me and my cousin rolled down the window to ask, is everything all right? All of a sudden, our reverse light caught a glimpse of a large, beaming eyes looking our way. My cousin told me to floor it, and we got out of there. We took a, off down the road, and after going a few minutes, everything seemed normal. Until a little bit later, when everything had calmed down, my cousin Marcos looked to the right and noticed a large creature flying almost directly over us. We were going about 30 miles an hour and stepped on the gas as we hit speeds of 45 to 50 miles an hour. The creature was still following us with ease. With the windy back roads, it was pretty hard to go much faster. After about two minutes of trying to outrun the human-like creature, we got on the county route of 17.5. At that point, there was no one behind us. I've never known about this creature until I went to visit the community. I'm not sure if I'm crazy and my eyes were seeing things, but I would like to know if anyone else has experienced such things or if I saw the Mothman, which that story is kind of pretty much to the t what yeah. mothman's gonna do it's maybe it's kind of like a cat following a laser pointer starting to think that he sees the headlights and then he's like must follow must go yeah, I, don't, I don't know what what rules or what laws would govern these experiences or manifestations i, I really don't do you know where that area is that they were talking about i that might be where i thought that might could be where uh you were talking about uh, Mary's uh, UFO sightings near that farm. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if that was yeah, it's same close to same that. kind of speeds and everything. So they either go UFOs either go incredibly fast or they can only go thirty five to forty miles an hour. <laughs> I'm, I'm figuring. I'm figuring it out, gang. I just think it, I just think it's so neat. Um, there was a, there was actually a very popular like D, D podcast series that featured cryptids and one of the things that i thought was cool and i hadn't really seen it before was they had mothman as a character but mothman's name was indrid cold and uh That's weird. 
so he he had like a, a regular form and then would mm -hmm. become the Mothman and also had those Oracle like abilities. Uh, but the thing about him was that he couldn't like quite see the future. He could only see bits and pieces, could only communicate so much. And hmm. I, I kind of liked how like during this conversation, it was coming up in the back of my head because it brings it all together, you know. The, the film, they tried to uh, get kind of a shorthand where they implied that uh, Ingrid Cold and the Mothman were the same thing. Mm -hmm. They did, didn't they? They did. Yeah. I, 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 I saw I, it as a kid. I remember watching it. And the, 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 you know, the phone calls he got. I'm here. What was it he said? I'm <laughs> No, please try again. Yes. <clears throat> what was it? I... I'm here or something like that. I, I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've watched that movie. I may have to ask for a third time, but that's all right. That's good. Or what? Gosh, sorry. <laughs> I, I can't remember. That. It was, it was no, pretty good. That was good. Richard Gere was very good in that role. And uh, it was mm -hmm. actually, I think Mark Pellington was the voice of Indrid Cold, obviously distorted. So it was the director talking to, uh, to uh, uh, Richard Gere in that, in that part. That was, by the way, Remember the character of Dr. Leek, the uh, the professor that he goes to see in Chicago, who's written the book and has been through all this before. Uh, it was played by Alan Bates. Anyway, Dr. Leek, that's Keel spelled backwards. Oh. And, and when Keel saw it, he said, you know, he reminded him of him. He thought Bates was right on the money for, for kind of getting his, uh, his uh, personality down. That's so huh. awesome. Oh, we do have some questions I'll show. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if this one, who this one's directed towards. LeBron, if you're still around. Um, um, I mean, I guess I've, I've had three ever. I think my, uh, my favorite one was the one that got uh, got me into all this paranormal stuff as a kid. I had a uh, what I guess was a UFO sighting. My entire uh, elementary school class saw it. Uh, I was on the I think the swings. Okay, he said it was all three of us. I was on the swings. I noticed a sphere um, off in the distance, like up at the top of the mountain near us. Um, like hovering over a tree kind of dark gray and it just sat there um and i i started telling people hey what what is that or asking and uh the, like a whole crowd of us was looking then the teacher came and uh she was confused by it um and uh she went and got somebody that got some binoculars and uh we got a closer look at it it was kind of a metallic-y looking thing with the it had like I don't know what you would call it like roofs I don't know the whole thing was weird um it always stood out to me because the teachers were confused about what it was and it got me looking into this stuff you know oh you know when the adults are panicking yeah, that's that's why it stood out to me. That's probably my favorite experience I ever had. It, you know, it sparked all this. I think the uh, the one of I guess I guess yeah the favorite experience to put it that way 
uh, was when I was at uh, one of my jobs. Uh, and the reason this is one of my favorites is because there was someone else there. So it, it wasn't just me. Uh, you know, we both heard the same thing. But uh, where I work, there's a very distinctive floor sound. Like when you walk on this floor, you can hear it. You know what it sounds like. Um, but it was just me and the person who works behind the desk. And we were having a conversation. And both of us at the exact same time turned our head because we heard someone walking on the floor and there was no one there but both of us were like you heard that right i heard if you heard it you heard it. i heard it we heard we both heard it um and much to the chagrin of the owner of the place when he got there and we're like hey don't freak out <laughs> uh because he's he's like oh great there's now now i gotta deal with ghosts on top of everything else you know but i just i th i think about that sometimes. And I was like, no, and the admin is a really practical person. So we both heard this. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like you said, it's really nice to have that kind of validation. Mm -hmm. I uh, one and only experience. Well, maybe I've had one and a half experiences. I don't know. <laughs> but I went out into the TNT area, the first time alone one night, just to see if I had the metal to do it. And uh, I was, you know, I had my, uh, my flashlight and my recorder. I looked like a real paranormal investigator. <laughs> And I, I went into one of the igloos and took some video. On the way back, down was down Route 62, I experienced a couple flashes of light, like a strobe, and then another one, and in a really dark spot of, spot of the road. And I thought, what where did that come from? And I wasn't didn't have the presence of mind uh, to try and figure out where I was on the road so I could come back the next day and, and look to see if it was something mundane, you know. Anyway, so I get back to my motel room. It's across the river. And keep in mind, nothing happens to this kid. I opened the door, the TV set turned on by itself, and then started flipping steadily through stations. And I thought, no, no, this doesn't happen <laughs> to me. So I did what any intrepid paranormal investigator would do. I unplugged the TV and went to bed. So, now, postscript. <laughs> a, year, a year later, same month, I'm in the, the room next to that room. I'm crammed in there with a couple of my buddies. This is John and Tim who fly the Mothman by night in the TNT area during the hayride, during the festival, Aww. and portray the men in black by day. Anyway, so we're crammed in there. We're talking. The TV set turns on by itself. It's another one of these older style TVs. And uh, the next day, Tim and I went in for some reason. The TV set turned on by itself and then flipped through a couple stations and stopped. So we tried to get scientific that time, you know, uh, using the remote through walls and uh, all that, nothing. Okay, the final part of this is a few years later, the next room over, it's a corner room, and two of our friends, two couples uh, were there with us at the Mothman Festival. And they have a, a TV that's uh, more like a smart TV. And so they're having trouble with the volume. They, the volume keeps getting lower and lower, and they keep turning it up, and then all of a sudden it starts blasting. So they have to go through this again. And then uh, on the on one of these nightstands was a, a pop can or soda can or something, and all of a sudden it flew off the table and hit the floor. Mm. So, and that was it. So uh, my theory is I brought something back with me from the TNT area, and fortunately he's still there flipping channels because <laughs> he didn't come home with me. Was it, the hotel wasn't the low, was it? No. <laughs> okay. No. I, I know uh, uh, somebody that has seen an apparition in the low. Oh, really? 
Steve, you should uh, you should tell these people to share their stories with me. Um, yeah. well, I can tell we, you this, we, is a, this is a pretty good one. This is Robin Bellamy. She was a Mothman witness when she was 10 years old. And uh, she was uh, this is at the 2006 Mothman Festival. She went into her room. It was unlocked. And she sees a man standing at the window, looking out the window, saying something about his boat coming in. And she just thought it was somebody from the festival who got lost or something. Oh. And then she noticed his legs didn't go all the way to the floor. So she's inching back. She's got a camcorder on the table. Remember camcorders? Mm. And she's trying to get it into her hands. And, of course, he vanishes. She, uh, she researched a book uh, about the haunts of the Low Hotel. She found this guy's photograph in the archives. He ran a boat up and down the, the uh, Ohio River. The captain, yeah. Crazy. So. Nope. She did the right thing. Back Dang. away, kids. <laughs> I'd love to get some stories from these folks that you've talked to. I don't know if you knew, but we mostly run on uh, people's personal encounters. But, yeah, that would be really cool. Uh, Julie Stump has. Oh, yes. Question. Julie, I had something else I was going to say, and I can't remember what it was. I'm looking for Julie's question. How far back was it? Let's see that. I saw it pop up. Ah. It in between a Jared sandwich. <laughs> Does there seem to be any particular times of year or type of weather going on that's common with the Mothman sightings? That's a really good question. I Not that I'm aware of with the Mothman sightings, although Keel seemed to uh, think that uh, a lot of times these types of phenomena would manifest during uh, thunderstorms, lightning storms. Huh. So... Um, I mean, there's even uh, apparitions of the Virgin Mary during thunderstorms. Um, so, but it, but it is there are there do seem to be patterns. Uh, Keel thought that uh, uh, when he when he uh, uh, back in the '60s, he subscribed to every clipping service possible. He gathered all kinds of UFO reports. He found that for some incredible reason, they seemed to peak on Wednesdays, and then oh, I remember that. Week. So there do seem to be patterns. Now, here's, here's a really weird one. There's a man named Ahmad Jamaluddin. I don't, uh, he's uh, written many, many articles for the Flying Saucer Review, which was a great British uh, uh, UFO publication. He wrote a book, something about uh, 60 years of suppressed evidence and about humanoids. He chronicled, you know, how, you know, it, people that, that see humanoids, that, in other words, landings, uh, close encounters of the third kind, where some kind of an entity is seen in conjunction with a craft. So he plotted those, and he found that the worst time of day to see, have an experience is noon. The best time is like 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Not only that, but in every time zone, suggesting... Oh that the point of manifestation or the point of entry is fixed as the earth turns is that's so bizarre. And uh, he's got, a, he used the database he used was from Albert Rosales. Albert Rosales uh, has about 15 books out called the others amongst us, humanoids, the others amongst us. He has an amazing, amazing database that goes all the way to from one AD to the present of other beings, other entities. And he also uh, talks about humanoid migrations. He found that these, these uh, migrations, or out, out, I call them outbreaks, uh, 
go in like eight to 10 year cycles. They seem to, there'll be a, a, a flap of humanoid sightings in South America, and then they'll, wait, they'll work their way up maybe a couple years later, somewhere in North America, US or Canada. Then it goes across to the UK or the continent, Europe, and then it hit uh, Malaysia or, or China or, or somewhere over there. And it seems to loop in eight to 10 year cycles. And uh, uh, so that's also fascinating. Why, why should that be? So now one thing it does suggest is that people aren't hallucinating or just making <laughs> stuff up because right. people don't uh, hallucinate in cycles. So I know, mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the book is, wow. is like this thick and uh, it's just uh, it's very interesting. I, I know some other people that are using the same data to see if they come up with the same results. So uh, it's very, very interesting the way he's applied uh, Albert Rosales's uh, database. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Yeah. Well, I don't think I've seen any more questions. Um... Taylor, have you seen? I mean, uh, Moth Mistress, have you seen more? I have not. You've doxed me. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you'll li I'll I'll live. It's not hard to figure out. <laughs> well, Steve, um, I don't guess I have anything else. My goodness, um, but I mean, it, like, yeah, yeah. thank you so much because there, you, I've learned so much in just such a short amount too. of time. Uh, yeah, uh, like the past hour, it's we've been on an hour and a half, and it's just kind of I, flown. Yeah, <laughs> you couldn't tell me that. Well, to me, the, the most fascinating, you know, my my area of interest are really these high strangeness areas like Point Pleasant, where all these things happen in the same place, you know, and why is that? I think that we might derive some answers if we focus on places like the Skinwalker Ranch, like mm -hmm. the Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, the, the Bradshaw Ranch and and on and on. Uh, Marley Woods is another one. Um, but it's just fascinating to me that in the same place, people see cryptids. Uh, they see strange lights in the sky. They have, uh, uh, you know, poltergeist phenomena, trickster-like phenomena, uh, disembodied voices happening in their house. So it's endlessly fascinating, but I have don't have the answers. I've always heard, I don't know if it's an old boat thing but uh you, you you get an area like that where uh two rivers uh meet mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever heard that yes the confluence of, of rivers and uh people suggest that it uh i don't know steps up the vibration or the paranormal activity and it may be true and we we are right here just as mary hire's column stated the where the waters mingle and mm -hmm. uh here with the ohio and the kanawa mm-hmm um okay i guess we do have one last question maybe um have you guys heard of tug a lu park negative what is it tug a lu park no yeah i hadn't heard either looks like i've got work to do But remember, kids, you can't just Google things anymore. You gotta, you gotta do a lot more than just, oh, it's on the first page of Google. No, that's all sponsored ads. Well, now we'll have we'll have homework for next time. Yeah, yeah. Thanks Oops. to everyone in the chat too, by the way. 
Yeah, yeah thanks everybody for coming. Uh, Steve, big thanks. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm going to send you one of our shirts for sure. Um, and if you want to send me a link to your podcast, I will put that in the description. We get a lot of people that watch after the streams too. Mm-hmm. So they, they'd be able to see that. And I'll definitely check out your podcast. Okay. I, I'm not quite sure how to do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but all I have to do is Google uh, my name on the highest strangest factor, uh, Paranormal UK Radio Network. I guess it's on a lot of different platforms. I, I'm, uh, I'm kind of a luddite. I, I have to confess, <laughs> and, uh, not intentionally. Hey, you manage this. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Did a quick search. No, I, mm, all I'm seeing just on the quick search. It, I'll see if I can find it. Okay, should and uh, link it for you. Uh, but uh, oh, were you saying something? Yeah, I'm trying to think the main platform I'm on, and I can't think of it. Well, Well, if you do, just let me know. Okay. Um, And I will definitely put it up. All right, gang. Thank you. Hit the like. Hit subscribe. Submit your submit your stories. Yes. If you 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 know if you've got stories, we do run off your stories. It's uh, you can send those to spookyappalachia at gmail.com. It's down there scrolling. You know, at the bottom there. Yeah, we we all love stories. Be sure to send those in. And uh, thanks. I guess I'll go Thank ahead you. and Thank end you this. Thanks, oh yeah, it was a blast. We'll probably I'll probably have to ask you to come on again one of these days. That was that was sure. great. <laughs> all right, people. See y'all next time.